It's titled, Angels, Praise, and Shepherds Bow. Our key words for our worshipers in training will be angels, shepherds, and glory. Our key words for our worshipers and training are angels, shepherds, and glory. For those of you who have been a part of our uh, sermon series, you know that we're studying the life of Christ. And last week as we closed out the sermon together, we left Jesus lying in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes, right, with Mary uh, pondering in her heart this wonderful gift that had been given to her. And so today we will continue uh, in this uh, Christmas season, uh, as it so happens to fall out, to talk about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, his birth, and his early life. And so if you will, turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 8 through 20 together. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. God's word reads, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the field and keeping watch by night over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and to Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about this child and all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back to back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. So in the passage we're reading today, we're going to see more confirmation of God's promises being fulfilled. One of the first things that we'll see is is that there is a patterned, uh, there's a pattern for the way that these messages are coming through to the people. We see that there's an appearance of an angel, that there is fear upon those who are confronted by God and His holiness. There's a reminder to not be afraid. There is an announcement and then there is a sign given. And so we've seen this over and over again in the passages we've been reading. We saw this with uh, 
Zechariah. We saw this with Mary. We saw this with Elizabeth. And we saw this with Joseph. The angels would come. These angels came and they give a message to the people. An angel is a messenger. An angel is a messenger. Angels are tasked with bringing messages from God to the people of God. We are reminded in the book of Hebrews that God in divers ways and in divers manners spoke to us uh, at one time, but now God speaks to us through his son, Jesus Christ. God spoke to people through dreams. God spoke to people through visions. And God spoke to people through angels. But what we're going to see today as we read this story, as we go through these passages of Scripture, is we're going to see that the message and the messenger are now going to be transformed from these angels, from an angel of God to the angel of God. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's look at verse 8 together. Luke 2 verse 8 says this. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out of the field and keeping watch over their flock by night. These shepherds are in a field. They are watching their flock. That's what shepherds do. They take care of their cattle. They are there at night. What is the purpose of being there at night? Protection. Because the enemies of the sheep do their best work in the dark. That's exactly right. And, it, and so the shepherds, uh, they keep these watches in turn. They were said to live outdoors. They protected the sheep from robbers and wild animals. Um, now, we don't know this for sure, but there is a very good indication or quite a likelihood that the very sheep that these shepherds are taking care of out in this field are going to be the very sheep that are going to be sent to the temple to be sacrificed. Remember over and over again throughout the, the Old Testament scriptures, we constantly see this message of sheep and sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so these shepherds are out there doing their job. Now in the Bible, shepherds are, are in modern traditions and in a lot of sermons that you will hear these days, you will hear where shepherds are often characterized as representing the downtrodden and the despised of society. You, you might have heard that before. So that um, the first proclamation of the gospel, that's what we're going to hear today, the good news, the gospel, this first proclamation comes to sinners. These shepherds, these lowly workers, uh, the shepherd's industry, the shepherd trade was the lowest of the low. It's probably about like what I do now, like a stalker in a grocery store. Like it's not the most important thing in society, and it's often overlooked. Servers and waiters are often overlooked in our society. We forget, unless we run out of tea, that how important a, a server is. But the reality is, is that a lot of the, the people in this world, the most of humanity... We all do menial things. We, we, we don't do these earth-shattering things, but the reality is, is that God's eye is upon even the lowliest of servants. And so I don't know if this, this, uh, this, these shepherds are, are put there as a symbol of those who are sinners or uh, the demeaned or the lowly, 
because all through scriptures we see where shepherds are actually exalted. Um, what do I mean by that? Well, the shepherd motive in the Bible is mostly positive. The New Testament portrays shepherds in a favorable light. Matter of fact, Paul even uses the term shepherds and under shepherds to talk about who? The pastors in the church. So they, they are actually like there's an importance to what they do. Not only that, in the Old Testament, some of the most important figures that we know, the fathers of the faith, were shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Uh, Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. Remember when he ran from Egypt, he went and shepherded flocks for 40 years out in the, in the wilderness. And so we see all of these important figures. Um, King David was a shepherd, right? Remember when he was going to go fight Saul, uh, fight Goliath, and Saul said, you've got no business going out there fighting this giant. And he said, what did he say? He said, I took care of my dad's sheep all of my life, and a lion and a bear would come by, and I'd grab him by the beard and smote him. Like He fought lions and, and tigers and bears, oh my, to, to protect the sheep. And so um, I remember one story in the Bible where uh, David uh, sinned and performed a census, and God brought a curse down upon the people, and David screamed out to God in a prayer and cried out, please smite me, like leave these poor sheep alone. And so all of those years of working as a shepherd in this lowly industry of taking care of sheep, David learned to be the king of a people. And he learned that the lives of his people were more important than his own. So as we go through the scriptures, we see where shepherds are not just some lowly thing. They're actually like exonerated and, and lifted up as, as, as a, a worthy institution. And not only that, we're going to also see that... Um, they do represent the low, lowly and the humble and those who respond to God's word. It's very important to see that these shepherds hear God's word, they receive God's word, they believe God's word, and they walk in God's word. But in a moment, we're going to talk about angels. But before we get to angels, we're going to continue to focus on shepherds for a minute because I want you to think about something. These are shepherds, but in the Bible, we are reminded that there is the shepherd. So let's look at a very familiar passage together, if you will. What does a shepherd do? Psalm 23 tells us, the Lord is my shepherd. You notice that it's in all capital letters there? That is Yahweh God. That's what that means when that when it, when Lord is spelled in all capital letters. It is reminding us that this is talking about God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant keeping, promise keeping God that created everything. So David is writing this song, and he says, "This is a song, just like we sing Silent Night." The children of Israel would have sung Psalm twenty-three, and it says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me." To lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows 
Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so David wrote this song, and what David is doing is he's taking all of that experience he had as a shepherd and what it took for him to take care of his sheep. What are the things that he needed to do to provide for his sheep? He needed to provide them with safety. He needed to provide them with food, with comfort. He needed to provide them with protection. He needed to provide them that even though they were lowly sheep and that the impending death was always hanging over their heads, he would be over them and protect them as they walked through this valley of the shadow of death. And these are all things that David was thinking of about how a shepherd takes care of sheep. But then through the inspiring of the Holy Spirit, David takes these words and applies them to the way that God takes care of his sheep. You see? And so I want to remind you again, we'll turn now to the book of John, talking about the shepherd, the Lord. Remember, the Lord is my shepherd. And let's look what Jesus says to a group of men who are, are trying to, to uh, accuse him of, of uh, sin, trying to accuse him and trying to condemn him, to get him killed. <clears throat> and Jesus looked at this group of people and this is what he said. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now think about that. Jesus is standing in front of this group of men and he says, I am, and we've talked about that in Sunday school this morning. This is another one of his I am statements. What he's saying is, I am the good shepherd. He's saying, my great, 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 great granddaddy wrote a song. And it was about the Lord, God, being the shepherd that takes care of his sheep. And I grew up singing it in the temple, and all of you sing it in the temple. And what I'm telling you is you are singing about me. That's what he's telling them. I am. If anybody tells you that the New Testament never says that Jesus claims to be God, you can point him right to this scripture. I am the good shepherd. What does Psalm 23 say? The Lord, God, is my shepherd. And what is Jesus saying? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. He's making sure that we understand who he died for. He died for his people. He laid down his life and he had you on his mind when he was hanging on that cross. I am the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. Verse 12 says this. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. But the good shepherd doesn't allow that to happen, does he? He flees because he's not a hired hand. He's not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There's an intimate knowledge between a sheep and its shepherd. There's an intimate knowing between God, the son, and the sheep that he has given to him. There's an intimate knowledge between you and your Savior. He is your shepherd. You shall not want. He makes you to lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside the still waters. 
he, the promises are to his children. And anyone who knows him and he knows has these promises and are protected by the good shepherd. What does it say in verse 14? Even as my father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for my sheep. Who did Jesus die to save? I lay my life down for my sheep. And what does it say next? I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is reminding us. So in the book of Luke, as we're reading this passage in Luke this morning, what you're going to see is that the focus is on the nation of Israel that the Messiah has come to save his people. But Luke wrote another book. What is that book called? What is that book? Acts. He wrote the book of Acts. And what happens is the focus goes from the nation of Israel to the world. In the book of Acts, he says, you are going to be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what happens is, is that promise of the good shepherd, the promise of, uh, of what he's come to do to save his people is now going to be expressed and openly proclaimed to all of the world. And so what Jesus is saying here is, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that are not Abraham's physical kids, but... They will hear my voice as well. Why? Because he's the good shepherd and his sheep do what? Hear his voice. So what is he saying? He's saying my voice will go out and my sheep will hear it and they will come. Why? Because he knows them and they know him. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. You see, one people of God. All right, so why do I bring this up? Because all through the Bible, we have this theme of shepherding. And the purpose of that theme is to point us to Christ. That he is the good shepherd. Again, we're going to turn in just a minute and talk about angels. What is the point of angels? They are what? Messengers. And what is the message that they proclaim? The word of God. And what we're going to find in a minute is Jesus is not only the shepherd, but he is also the angel of the Lord. All right. So let's look at that verse eight. Um, And we need to see in verse nine, it says this. And the angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. So this angel appears to these shepherds and it says that the angel is uh, expressing the glory of God, that he is a holy angel and that God's glory is upon him. And he comes and, he, and he's in this dark field and there's this contrast between what? Light and darkness. Remember, God said, let there be light. And so we need to bring that to mind as we think about this angel coming and literally lighting up that field with the glory of God. And what is the response of these angels, of of these men? They were afraid. Now, I want to remind you that the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, this is an angel of God that is speaking to these shepherds. 
But in the Old Testament, you will read in several of the passages you read, the wrestling of Jacob. Who did Jacob wrestle with? The angel of the Lord. And we also see that when Joshua was getting ready to go in and conquer uh, the land, that the angel of the Lord stood in front of him with a sword. Remember? And so this the angel speaks as God. If you go back in the Old Testament and read the statements that say the angel of the Lord, not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, you will recognize these things. Number one, he speaks as God. This angel is speaking to these shepherds for God. He's not speaking as God. He's relaying the message of God to the shepherds. But in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord spoke as God. He identifies himself with God and exercises the responsibility of God in several of these appearances. Those who saw the angel of the Lord feared for their lives because they say, we have seen the Lord. Therefore, it is clear that at least in some of these instances in the Old Testament, that the angel of the Lord is a theophany, an appearance of God in physical form. Remember we talked about that in the past, Theo meaning God, Phaneru meaning uh, phantom or, or appearance, right? And so a theophany is a, an appearance of God. Now, no one has seen God and live, right? But God can take the form of something that we can relate to and relate to us. And so in the Old Testament, when you come across these passages, it says, the angel of the Lord, we are most certain that it is a pre-incarnate uh, in, uh, in the pre-incarnate Christ coming and delivering a message to his people. The angel of the Lord. Well, well, how do you know that? Well, here's what's cool. Once we get to the New Testament, once we get to this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, we never hear from the angel of the Lord again. All through the Old Testament, we hear the angel of the Lord, but nowhere in the New Testament will you find the statement, the angel of the Lord. You know why? Why? Because Jesus is the messenger. He is the messenger and he is the message. You see how that works? All right, so the messenger came, this angel came with a brightness or or the presence of the Lord's glory surrounding him. When we think of God's glory, what we need to think of is the, the weight or the heaviness of who he is. The the term uh, glory, uh, the Shekinah glory, remember in the Old Testament over the tabernacle how the glory of God hovered over the tabernacle, it hovered over the the, uh, uh, Ark of the Covenant. When Solomon prayed and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, right? Remember when uh, God's people sinned and were being drugged off into slavery, what happened to the glory of the Lord? It came up out of the temple and left. And so when we think of the glory of God, we think of his presence and the heaviness and the weight of his presence. I think that most of us in this room would be able to attest that in times in our lives when we have truly been spiritually confronted by God and his holiness, when we have had a spiritual uh, experience with God, that most often it's not happy, happy, joy, joy. It's a terrifying and a frightful experience. We can relate 
to these angels. Because when God comes and speaks to us through his word and his, the power of his spirit, in the power of his spirit, that weight is recognized by us. The sin that is within us scatters because of his light. And we are, just like Isaiah said, what? We are undone. And that's what's going on here. These angels have come and uh, expressing the Shekinah glory of God to relay God's majestic presence to these men. And what do they do? They do what any human being would do in the presence of God. They fall and they bow before him. So these angels come and bring the presence of God uh, and the message of God uh, to these uh, people. Uh, They don't bring the presence of God. They bring the message of God to these people to let them know that the presence of God is now with them. And so they are humbled. And such a bright light in the midst of Eden reminds us of this definite contrast between light and dark. Any encounter with the divine initially is startling and unsettling. Um, But we need to understand that because of God's grace, that fear can quickly be removed. God wishes to interact and shepherd his people. So God's law, God's holiness, God's glory humbles us. God's gospel comforts us in that humility. God's gospel brings us hope when the law can only bring condemnation. And it brings us a peace that this world, nor any of our striving, nor any of our uh, attempt at pleasing God can ever bring. His grace and his mercy and his forgiveness comes to us and comforts us. His holiness pushes us and drives us to the cross. And his grace and his mercy and his peace keeps us clinging to it. So we realize in verse 10, it says this, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. What is, what is the term that we affectionately uh, use for good news in the Christian faith? The gospel. That's exactly right. Hey guys, I have some good news. The gospel. Um, And so what is the message that these angels are bringing? The gospel, the good news. Do not be afraid. I have good news for you. And the birth of Jesus Christ is a cause for great joy. For this bit of time, Luke is very interested in how Jesus is going to fulfill these expectations for his people. A focus clearly controlled by historical concerns. Of course, as we get further into the story, this focus is got this gospel, this good news is going to go from just being for the people of Israel to the world at large. The message is good news, it's great joy because a savior has come to save us from our sin, to save us from the condemnation of the law to save us from ourselves, to set us free to be the people of God. And it's very good news. It is the good news that we need to hear. Unfortunately, most people are not looking to God's promises. They're not looking to the gospel for their good news. They're looking for something in the world around them, from the media 
or from their favorite hobbies or their habits or their careers or from the world around them to find this good news and this peace that they need when in reality it is only the good news of Jesus Christ that can bring us salvation, that can bring us hope, that can bring us peace. And I want to be very adamant when I say this. The gospel is to be uh, proclaimed to all creation. You and I are commanded to share this good news with everyone that God places in our path. Now, I'm preaching at you, but I'm preaching to myself. Because I can tell you every day that people that I'm related to, people that I work with, do not hear the good news from me. But the reality is, is who is, who is this message to go to? All of the world. We are to proclaim this good news to all of the world. This is Christmas, and we have a chance now. People will actually listen. You can actually get people that are even not believers to sit down and listen to Luke chapter 2 as you read the Christmas story on a Christmas Eve. You see, we have an opportunity now to say, hey, you know, uh, this is a very pretty tree that you have here, but let me tell you about a tree that I know about that's not so pretty. And we can tell them about the cross, and we can tell them about Jesus and what he did to come and to save us. <clears throat> so, in verse 11, it says this. <clears throat> this gospel message is to go out to all. And in verse 11, it says this. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. This is one of the only passages in all of the New Testament, of all of the scriptures, if you will, where you see those three terms all put together. There has been born for you today in the city of David. What is the city of David? Bethlehem. Who has been born? Who has been born? The Savior, the Christ, the Lord. All three of those terms are very important for us to see. But first, let's look at this. Bethlehem, the city of David. I reminded y'all last week, if you want to turn back to Micah 5.2, you can look at this passage really quickly. And we are reminded here of what it says. In Micah 5.2, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Apathrathah, boy, that's a word, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, from you, Bethlehem, one, you notice that's capitalized, will go forth for me to be the ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So Micah is given a prophecy in saying that one day out of Bethlehem will come this one who is to rule and to reign. So why do you think Luke is very adamant about making sure in verse 11 there? Uh, why is the angel so adamant to let these shepherds know that today in the city of David there has been born for you what? A savior. What do we mean when we say savior? The word group refers to people in the Old Testament that delivered people from their enemies, such as the judges. Right? They were known as saviors. Um, Luke in, intends us to see that uh, the meaning of this term is someone who rescues from peril, either in physical or spiritual nature or both. Jesus has come to save us from the physical and the spiritual perils of this world. When he came, he made sure that people had food, did he not? 
He caused the blind to see, caused the deaf to hear, caused the crippled to walk, caused the possessed to be set free from their possession. He, he came and he delivered us not only from our physical ailments, but from our physical, uh, spiritual ailments, ailments as well. He came to set us free from our sin. And that's a question each and every one of us in this room need to ask ourselves. Am I free from sin? I didn't say, are you sinless? But one of the indications that we are a child of God is not that we don't sin because all sin, but do I struggle with my old sin nature? Has God given me the power to now fight against things that I used to embrace? And that's what he's come to do. He's come to set us free from sin and self. He has come to be a savior. That's what that term means. He's come to deliver us from peril, both physical and spiritual. Let's look at verse 12. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Well, we know that's already happening, right? Luke's already told us that that's where Jesus is. He's in a manger lying. But this angel is giving the gospel to these shepherds. And now he's saying, and here is a sign to show you that what I'm saying to you is true. And what is the sign? You're going to go out and you're going to find a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now, it's not an amazing fact that this child is wrapped in swaddling clothes because most parents did that at that time. They used it to help straighten their limbs up, etc. I see babies nowadays. They've gotten back to where they do that now again. They wrap these babies up. They look like little cocoon, like little caterpillars in a cocoon or something. And uh, it can't be comfortable, but they tell me that they're very happy with it. So whatever. I didn't, I've never had babies. But the miracle is not in the fact that this baby Jesus is wrapped in swaddling clothes. The miracle is, is that these angels, who they know are angels, or this angel that they know is an angel, has come to them and given this message that now I'm going to prove to you that what I'm saying is true. You go over there and you're going to find a baby in a, in a feed trough. Like that's just not something that happens every day. And so the Messiah is found in an animal's den. The Messiah's humble and, humble and common origin fits nicely with the task of the suffering and the commonality that he is going to bear for his people. The scriptures are very clear to tell us that he came down from glory and clothed himself in human flesh and humbled himself to be among us. And think about that. Jesus' life began in a manger. And Jesus' life is going to end on a cross between two thieves. And there was not much gloriousness in between, was there? He was a man of constant sorrow. Surely he bore our grief. So, born in an animal room, dies with robbers. In verse 14 then, so now this angel has said, go there and you're going to see that this is the case. And you're going to go there and see this case. And then all of a sudden it says this. And then suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. The heavenly host being what? The angels. The choir of angels. But not only that, 
the Bible actually teaches us that all of nature groans in travail of the pain and the suffering caused by sin. Imagine what all of nature is going to do when it is restored, when we have a new heaven and a new earth. The ocean, the, the trees, the birds, the bees, the flowers, everything will praise their creator in joy and happiness again. And that, that will come again one day. But this multitude of heavenly hosts join this angel to praise God. And what are they praising God for? His work of salvation to give glory to the King of kings and Lord of lords who will perform it. These angels know who this baby in that manger is, and they are given praise to God for it. What do they say? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among men with whom he's pleased. We often forget that peace on earth and we think about the fact that Jesus has came to bring peace to all of the world. But that's not what he said. He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. The peace that he brings as Messiah is a peace for those with whom he is well pleased. You see that again? We need to make sure we see that. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. That peace is for those who he is pleased with. Well, who is God pleased with? He's pleased with those that hear his word, receive his word, and believe his word and walk in his word. We've talked about this in the past. When he looks down on you, he sees his son's righteousness covering you. And he is pleased with those who have put their faith in Christ. And for all of those who have put their trust and their faith in Jesus Christ, he is well pleased. We often, we talked about this this morning in Sunday school, about how he is a God that uh, uh, doesn't change. And his peace rests on those that, that are his. And that peace doesn't change. Now the world around us and all of the chaos in this world around us might change every day. But the peace that is upon his people, the peace that is upon those who he is pleased with will never change. We need to learn to put more of our trust in what he does for us as opposed to what the world around us is doing. That's where we find our peace. We find our peace in Christ, not in the world. And so... He's pleased. And it happened that when the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. One of the indicators of true faith is a willingness to believe it and walk in it. And I want you to notice, they didn't say let's go here and see this thing so that we can believe it. What did they say? We believe it. Let's go see it. And one of the themes all through Scripture that you're going to hear me say over and over and over again is, is that the world says, show me and I'll believe you. But God always says, believe me and I'll show you. Well, what are we believing? His word. And that's what these shepherds have done. They have heard from the messenger, who is the angel, He gave them a message. What is the message that he gave them? The promise of God. And what have they done with that message? 
They've received it and believed it, and now what are they going to do? They're going to act on it. That's what we're supposed to do. Hear his word, receive his word, believe his word, and act on his word. And when we do that, we'll see that his word is true. We already have the faith within us. As we walk in the light of his word, that faith becomes sight. You can look back on your life and see where God has been faithful. So they go and they, when they see this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. So they go here and now they, they're taking this message that they have received and believed. And they go and they find Mary and they find Joseph. And what do they do? They, the message is now realized and shared with others. They recognize that it's the truth. They act on that truth. They see that it is true. And then they share that truth with others. Look at verse 16. Uh, What the shepherds saw in Bethlehem was in agreement with what they heard from the angels. God's message through the angels had come to pass leading to praise for God's work. The shepherds had witnessed the start of God's work in Jesus and felt honored in sharing that event. In verse 17, it says, And when they had seen the statement, uh, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told to them about the child. A living faith is a faith that must be shared, and it builds the church through the confirmation of God's promises. When we know His truth and we see His truth, we are to share that truth. And what happens? When you share that truth with others in your community, when you share that with others within your church, when you tell others, uh, Roy, you've asked me in the past about testimonies. When you give a, a testimony to your brothers and sisters in this church, what does it do? It confirms the truth and helps them to know that truth more, helps them to know you more, helps them to know themselves more, and it builds up the community. A community that is built on God's faithfulness and his word and what he said is a community that will last forever. That's what the church is. And so we see this. We see this living faith is a faith that must be shared. And when we share that faith, it builds up the church. When we share God's word with us, it builds up the church. Verse 18, it says, And all who heard it, marveled at these things which were told to them by the shepherds. What does it mean to marvel? It means to stare in amazement. Right? How many, all of y'all love to watch your kids at Christmas time. Why? Because their minds are full of imagination and wonder and joy. All of the things that the world hadn't beat out of them that it's beat out of you. Right? You can still see them looking and staring up at everything. Everything is still new to them. There's a joy and a wonder about the season, right? There's something different about it. Well, that's what it's supposed to be like with our faith in God. We are supposed to be awed. We are supposed to live in wonder, right? There's a, there's a beautiful sermon, if you ever get a chance to listen to it, by a guy named Vance Havering. He's an old preacher from back in the day. And the title of the sermon is, Never Lose the Wonder. And what he talked about was when he first got saved and when God changed his heart and filled him with his spirit, that his life was full of wonder again. Everything was new. And sometimes we as Christians let this world beat it out of us. When God's word is in us, when his faith is in us, we should live in awe and wonder at all of the beautiful things that he is doing around us, for us, in us, 
and to the others around us as well. He's answering our prayers, and we should be in awe of these facts. So they were all marveling and reflecting on the surprise of God's revelation. However, look at Mary. We're about done, guys. Verse 19 says this. Mary pondered these things in her heart. Basically, Mary was in deep reflection on what was taking place. Here's this little teenage girl that's just giving birth to the only virgin-born child ever birthed in the world. And she knows that her life has completely changed now. And now she has these shepherds coming to her and saying, hey, we heard that the Savior was born. Confirming what she already knew. And she was pondering these things in her heart. Now, I want to remind you of this. The Bible said, where your treasures are, there your heart will be also. And so I want to ask you this morning, I don't want you to answer, but I want to ask you this and I want to challenge you. Where is your heart? Not just for the hour that you come to church or not just for the hour you come to Bible study on Monday nights. But when you're at your home, when you're sitting there watching TV or reading a book or when you're talking with your wife or your husband or, or you're working with your kids or, or you're doing your job, where is your heart? What is important to you? What do you treasure? And it will come out. It's going to come out in your thoughts and your words and your actions. And I want to remind you of what was important to Mary. That God is a God who keeps his word. God is a God who sent a Savior to save his people. And he has given me the privilege and the joy of being a part of that salvation message. It's a wonderful thing to ponder in our hearts. It's a wonderful thing to be in awe over. Last verse. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it was told to them. When God is at work in our life, we will be full of joy and we will be full of praise. And what is the thing that will be most important to us? Just as it was told to them. Last statement. All through the Bible, the message is God gives his word. The people react to his words either in belief or unbelief. And those who believe receive And those who receive, share. Those who receive, receive joy, love, light, life, truth, happiness, peace, grace, mercy. Those that reject, receive judgment and condemnation. Sadness and sorrow and grief. We have been given a Savior. And this time of the year, we celebrate that gift. And I encourage each and every one of you, if you have that gift within you, Share it with others. Amen. Amen. All right, so we'll go ahead and close with that thought. God is a God who loves us. God is a God who has told us the truth. God is a God who shares his truth with us and expects us to receive and believe that truth and to walk in that truth. May you walk in that truth this week. Amen.